Lord, on this early Easter morning, as we gather to worship you, we sit on the other side of all of the activity that took place 2,000 years ago. We are not in the same situation the disciples and the women were on that day. But yet we confess to you that there are still times when we are puzzled and perplexed and perhaps even a bit unbelieving. So today as we look at your word, as we once again hear the story of Easter morning and to hear those words from that resurrection chapter in 1 Corinthians, may we come again to know the wonderful joy of Jesus risen from the dead. It's in his name we pray. Amen. How does the word Easter make you feel? How does the word Easter make you feel? Excited? Glad? Joyful? Relieved? Like if you're on the altar guilt, you're, you're, you're getting to the point of relief. Even like a pastor after all of the Holy Week stuff. Sometimes you have to say, yeah, I'm excited, I'm happy, I'm glad, I'm joyful. But it's just about over. You know, according to that first reading that Jimmy shared this morning, the first answer would have been puzzled, terrified, unbelieving, and perplexed. I mean, Christ is risen, but the women on the way to the tomb don't know that. Christ is risen, but those disciples locked in that upper room don't believe the women. They were there, after all, when they crucified Jesus. We sang that song the other night. Were you there? They were. They were there when Jesus spoke those seven last words from the cross. They were there standing in the shadow of that old rugged cross. Jesus is dead. They saw it. They saw him bloody and beaten and crowned and pierced. He was dead. Not kind of dead. Not mostly dead. Not swooning dead. He was dead, dead, dead. And in Jesus' death, God died. And when God died, humanity is dead. Not kind of dead, not mostly dead, not swooning dead, but lifeless dead, 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 dead in our sins and all of our trespasses. And humanity without God is like a man who's got a hollow chest. He lacks a heart that beats. He lacks a heart that's capable of love and virtue and sacrifice for other people. And because far too many people in this world wander around with a hollow chest, they make every attempt to stuff the hollowness with pleasure. And the great enemy of the great enemy is no longer death, but anyone that stands in the way of our self-fulfillment. I mean, this is kind of our world today, friends. It's our culture. And by and large, there are a lot of people today that are not nearly as happy as I would hope we are today. We live in a world that is depressed and selfish and despairing and confused. Like Adam and Eve, they have eaten the wrong fruit too many times. 
We live in a society today that says if it looks good, we should want it, and we should have it. If it feels good, we should desire it, and we should fulfill it. If it sounds good, we should love it, and we should follow it. I kind of picture Satan sometimes as the Pied Piper, whistling his warped way into the hearts and minds of so many people, and let's be honest, into our hearts and minds and lives as well. But, you know, believing in the resurrection really changes things. It it changes the way we live. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we believe. And it changes the way we behave. Or at least it should. It should. If we are truly followers and believers. And not just fans of a special day where we get to dress up a little bit more and eat ham and have Easter egg hunts and take our kids to park on the Easter bunny. You know, believing in the resurrection gives new meaning to every area of our life. I mean, this morning I just want to talk a little bit about the significance of the resurrection of Jesus in our lives. And I I, I talk to you purely from the point of view of what I feel when I think about the resurrection of Jesus. And I pray that you have those similar feelings. And I'm going to do that by asking and maybe answering that old Lutheran question because, by and large, those people who are here at 7 o'clock in the morning are those old Lutherans. And you know that old Lutheran question, what does this mean? Easter, what does this mean? Well, it, it means about three different things. Here's the first thing it means. It means that the resurrection changes the meaning of faith. I'm going to jump ahead to this great resurrection chapter, too, that, that Jimmy read from 1 Corinthians 15. That's an absolutely wonderful chapter. In fact, my Bible actually calls it the resurrection of Christ. Now, we don't often read the first 15 verses for some reason, but we kind of jump all the way to the end. We read it a lot of times at funeral services. And sometimes we don't pull those two things together, the resurrection and funerals, because they do fit together. But in verse 17, it says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. I mean, people often have a mistake today of thinking that religion is kind of like a giant buffet table and you kind of walk along and you kind of go, "Hmm, I don't want any of that. Okay, I'll have some of this. And they load their plate up. And what you've got is this weird religion that we have today in America, the kind of a pick and choose what you want. They believe that religion is a personal thing that each individual can develop or discard according to his or her own whim. I mean, I've had some interesting discussions in the last couple of weeks over what's been going on in our country. And even the change in What constitutes marriage? And when you ask people, you know, what do you think the Bible says about it? I've had people said, you know, I've never even thought about it. And then you follow up and you say, well, are you a Christian? Um, Yeah. And you don't know what the Bible says about it. Interesting. Interesting. See, as far as religion, religious freedom, of course, it is true. I mean, you can choose whatever you want. I mean, that's one of the... Beauties, I guess, of having religious freedom in this country. But as far as truth goes, it's a completely different ballgame. Truth is not determined by a matter of taste or by preference. Christianity is not based upon some sort of a religious whim. It's based upon a 
Historical fact. That's why I had Jimmy read 1 Corinthians 15 today, because it talks about so many people who saw Jesus. It's an honest-to-goodness historical fact. Jesus died, but Jesus came back to life. He conquered death. That means he is who he said he is, Jesus the Messiah. And if he is who he says he is, that means he must be able to do what he said he could do, which is give us eternal life. And that must certainly mean then that all of his promises, like I will be with you always, or I will never leave you or forsake you, that means then that all of those promises also are true. There's a book written a number of years ago. It's called Jesus Freaks. And uh, it was written by um, some guys that were in a Christian band, DC Talk. And it was about martyrs and people who suffered for the faith. And one of those stories I remember was about Bishop Lajos Ordas of the Lutheran Church in Hungary. He was imprisoned for six years because he protested communistic oppression in his country. He was placed in a solitary confinement in a small cell that had absolutely no windows, no light. His captor's intent was to break down his resistance by keeping away from any contact whatsoever. Six years later, when he was released, he said, They thought I was alone. They were wrong. The risen Christ was present in that room, and in communion with him, I was able to prevail. That's faith. See, the resurrection gives us assurance that our faith is not just some sort of a sentimental wish list. The reality of the resurrection really gives, you know, flesh and bones. It gives substance to our faith and the ability to face life's toughest challenges with the assurance that God is on our side. I mean, I sometimes make a joke about it and I say, you know, I I hate to tell you, but I've read to the end, we win. You know, I I see how it all works out from beginning to end. And and if we win in the end, guess what? We're also winning all along the way to that spot. Easter, what does this mean? Well, here's the second thing. It, It means that it changes the meaning of death. Verse 18, if Christ has not been raised, then those who have died in Christ have perished. In other words, if Jesus didn't come back to life, guess what? Everybody else who's died, they're still dead. And they're never going to be any different than that. During my first year as a pastor back at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Belvedere, Illinois, I was kind of tagging along for the most part with the man who had been in that church for about 25 years. And even though he was my assistant, I was following along and learning how to do certain things from him. And and I remember that first year because two elderly women in the congregation died in the same week. The fact that their deaths were so close together really made the different atmosphere of each funeral much more obvious. And I've thought about this my entire ministry life. Both of the ladies who passed away were very dedicated, sincere, committed Christians. But their families were both really, really different. I mean, members of the first family were very active Christians. In fact, several family members were involved in the teaching ministry and even one who was considering the preaching ministry. And even though there were a lot of tears and a lot of sorrow the day of that funeral, that day was also filled with laughter and love and 
telling a lot of wonderful memories. I mean, her funeral literally was a celebration of her graduation from life to life eternal. In contrast, a few days later, it was for a family that was not what you would call a religious family. I mean, none of the children attended church. None of the grandchildren attended church. They were probably what some people call Christers, Christmas and Easter people. Or, you know, hatched, matched, and dispatched. They come for a baptism. They come for a wedding. They come for a funeral. And not surprisingly, the grieving process was much different for that family. Instead of laughter and fond memories, there was anger. And there was guilt. Instead of celebration, there was despair. I mean, the grown children did not have the sense of peace about their mother's death that the other ladies' children had. For the very simple reason, these children and grandchildren did not have a personal faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And in 27 years as a pastor, I have seen this happen again and again. Those with strong faith in Jesus are able to face death, that of their own and that of their loved ones. They they do it much differently than those who are only kind of marginally religious. Now, why is that? It's because for the Christ follower, Jesus' resurrection gives a whole brand new meaning to death. I mean, death is not the end. Death no longer has any power over us. That's why Paul says later in this chapter... Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? He's saying death has been defeated. And even a few verses after that, he says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then he ends up that chapter by saying, death has been swallowed up in victory. See, because of Jesus' resurrection, we know that death is merely the transition from this life to the next And we take comfort in that promise that I go ahead to prepare a place for you. Do you know that right now, Jesus is in heaven getting your place ready. And because of the resurrection then, death is not an end. It's just a beginning. Easter, what does this mean? Well, the resurrection also changes the entire meaning of life. Verse 19, if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, Paul wrote this at a time when professing faith in Jesus was potentially dangerous. It was life-threatening. I mean, many people in Paul's day, like him, who was in prison for his faith, were facing death, and if not death, some horrible persecution. In fact, through the 2,000-year history of our church, up to this very moment, Christians have suffered torture and abuse and persecution and mockery and death. It still happens today. You read about it taking place in battles in Somalia. You read about it taking places in Uganda. And you read about it in North Korea and even China and other places like that. Now, if this life is all there is, anyone would have to be nuts, I'd say, in order to endure such mistreatment. And while 21st century American Christians may not live under that same threat, and I might add, yet, that doesn't mean that we don't suffer persecution here in our country. doesn't mean that we don't experience sacrifice from time to time. 
I mean, the Bible says in 2 Timothy, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not might be, will be. That's a promise. Now, it's not a promise that we like to claim, but it's a promise nonetheless. I mean, every day, I mean, I I could list them out. You probably could, too. There are business people who don't get promotions. There are applicants who don't get hired. There are new neighbors that are not accepted into their new neighborhood. There are salesmen who don't make the sale. There are writers who don't get published. There are students who don't get a fair grade. There are athletes who don't um, get a starting position. There are actors who don't get a part. There are politicians who don't get elected. Why? All because they're bold enough to take a stand for Jesus. There is a price to pay for taking a stand. But friends, if there is no resurrection, if this life is all there is, you'd be an absolute fool to allow yourself to be even slightly inconvenienced for the sake of religion. If there's no resurrection, Paul said, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But, there's always a but, isn't there? It's kind of a transition from the horror of the law to the joy of the gospel. But if Christ is raised, it's changed everything. And the pain and the sorrow and the persecution and the mistreatment and even the little inconveniences have special significance. I mean, I'm getting to the age where I I start looking back over some of what I've done. And I I think every once in a while of little details in my life. And I go back sometimes and think about, you know, grade school and high school and college and, you know, early marriage and the long history of marriage that Nancy and I have had. You know, just pastoring and teaching and coaching. And sometimes they seem like little insignificant things. But guess what? Every detail of your life has special significance. If there is no resurrection, the only logical purpose for living is pursuing your own pleasure. However, if Jesus is raised, the only logical purpose for your life is following him and doing his will. Before the resurrection, death was the end. Death was the final curtain call. Before the resurrection, all we could do is mourn as those people who have no hope. But after the resurrection, when someone dies, what do we do? We mourn. We cry. Why? Because we've lost a loved one. But we mourn as people, the Bible says, as people who have hope because Jesus is alive and the promise is that if He is alive, then we too or they too can live forever. I mean, our sins are forgiven by His shed blood. We have the promise of everlasting life. It changes the whole concept of death and it changes the whole concept of life. I mean, Paul writes, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Easter, I mean, what does this mean? Well, I'll tell you what, the resurrection makes a big difference. Before, things seemed so important, but now some of the stuff seems so insignificant. Before, time is so limited, but now there's all eternity ahead of us. Before, life would be filled with despair, but now it's filled with purpose and direction and meaning. I mean, before death was just an end, but now death is merely 
a gateway to a new beginning. You know, in many churches across America, today is the day we breathe a great sigh of relief. I mean, after all, we have slogged our way through Lent. We've made it through Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and Holy Week, and we got to Easter. And now we can finally, finally put our feet up and relax. In fact, I would challenge you to go to any popular church next Sunday and find their pastor there. A lot of pastors will take this entire next week off, including Sunday. It's kind of like we're done. But, you know, if you think about it, Easter is where it all begins. Easter is the start. It's not the finish. It's the start of a brand new story, a brand new day, brand new time to live and serve for Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, as we come with the women to the tomb, give us, give us faith to stay with the story, to hold open our minds and hearts and lives to whatever you now want to do in us, with us, and through us. For Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let's stand.